Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Brett Sexton, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. There was some pre-banter to this podcast that we had to hit record. You were going in on one of our two uh, movies. One of, one of our two movies tonight. Talking about Mank and Wonder Woman 1984 tonight. And we're going to start with Wonder Woman because <laughs> I think it's the least or least favorite of the two. But um, Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be perceived as bipolar when we jump from this to our second movie. If you see my demeanor change and... <laughs> Oh, but well, our first carry, movie of the night. Just what carry is it? on. Carry on. You were literally just shitting on it before I press record. Just continue. Yeah, Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max. And if you're a sucker enough, you could have gone and seen the theater somewhere. I don't know what theater, but there's probably one out there that was showing it. Do I don't know. Look. Some days... I wake up and I feel like Hollywood just chose violence with me. Like they're just like, ah, they're just going to make whatever the hell they want. And there's already a third one lined up. So who gives a shit? If you couldn't tell already, we're not fans of this film. However, I did something Brett might not have bothered to do. I went ahead and outlined some bright spots of the film. I there are some bits that I did like about this movie. I will say that this is not an entire, entire shit show. So let's start with that. I think I think it's fair. This is not the worst movie ever made. No, it's not. It's not the, probably not the worst movie of 2020. I just think with a budget this big, with the first movie being as fun and good as it was, it's just a swing and a miss. But I'll let you take the the bright spots. Well, first off, how are you doing besides this? <laughs> That's a busy day. Busy day. Didn't need to have to watch Wonder Woman 1984 today, but I did. I'm going to ask you to do this. I didn't didn't put it in the agenda. Can you explain? You have a new job. You have a new job. Yeah. Can you explain it to the listeners? Because I think it's a pretty cool job. Oh, yeah. I got a contract work job. I'm in the training phase for it, but if you've seen videos from Looper or Nikki Swift, those kind of videos that deal with pop culture or movies and TV, uh, I'm right now I'm the script editor, starting as a script editor for them. So I'll take the articles written by those sites, edit them down, link into the cutaways to the actual show or topic it's about, and then send that over to a video editor who puts that and the VO artist together to make the video you see where it's like top 10 most insane off-screen arguments between actors or the ending of The Mandalorian explained. Those type of videos, I edit the scripts down for those and send them out, hopefully. Very nice, very nice, Curtis. I thought the listeners would appreciate it because that's a cool stuff. <laughs> I watch Looper all the time. <laughs> Some, some mindless, mindless uh, dives into YouTube. I end up. On oh yeah, they've got the wealth of videos. Yeah, uh, but I went ahead and wrote some bright spots down for Wonder Woman. I, I like you was uh, kind of taken aback by how uh, incoherent at times this movie was. 
but I wrote yeah. down some bright spots. One of which you and I will disagree on: Gal Gadot. I don't, I don't think you think She's, Gal Gadot can't act. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do not think she is the greatest actress I've ever seen on the screen. I definitely think her performance is at least a bit better. Maybe it was just a better written movie the first go around, but I definitely did not get the same charm in this film. And I just feel like there were only a few spots where I saw real emotion come out. I said before we started that it, to me, it seemed that most lines were delivered in the exact same cadence. And I get maybe the angle would be that you want her to be very proper and she's not from the world we're from. She didn't grow up the way we grew up. She won't speak the same and all that, but I don't know. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it this time around. Can I make a defense for Gal? Yeah, go ahead. First off, I don't think she's ever looked better in a movie. She looks, she looks stunning in this movie. But I think people overlook the shittiness because, oh, pretty lady that's up on the screen. <laughs> no, I'm not overlooking it. Too. <laughs> I kind of get what you're saying, but here's my defense. Is she being typecast as the badass female? Because she plays a similar role in the Fast and Furious franchise. I don't think I got to that point in the franchise to remember Gagado, but... I'm kidding. <laughs> Fourth and fifth? Fast five? Is she, in, is she in those movies? I don't even remember her being she in those movies. She dies on the airport runway in Fast Five? Well, was, we, uh, as we now know, deaths in that franchise mean nothing. So, she was a uh, Hans. Girl. Similar to this movie, death. Death means nothing. <laughs> you could die. Gives a shit. We'll just bring it back whenever we need you. But the thing with Gal Gadot, I think she's being typecast, and you and I hit on it earlier before I. I, I, I writing. That's a good point. I think she here. is. Writing is the big yeah. one here. Writing, a better uh, villain story, than... <laughs> cohesion. Writing is the biggest villain in this movie. Yeah, that's tough. It's, you know what? That's it. It's a tough way to make a movie. <laughs> Having your script be the bad guy. Another bright spot I had, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor. And you had a theory about Chris Pine. You want to share it? Tell me you had a take on Chris Pine. Oh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed Chris Pine to an extent, but it's also how he was kind of brought back. I, I also didn't care. Right. First problem, I will say, Marvel had to deal with this with Captain America. He's frozen in the 40s. Now he's brought back. He's got to adjust. They've had more time, but you can't dwell on that because to me, that shtick, which they do in this movie as well of oh man from the past the future is all weird and different gets to me gets really old really fast like i get it i as a viewer understand died world war ii it's 1984 things are going to be weird let's speed it up did i need the fashion montage no i feel like you could have fit in comedy in a that was better trailer bait it was trailer bait, but I also feel like that's why this movie is so fucking long, which is something we've talked about and we're annoyed with, is because you could put in comedy at points that are also progressing with the story. That is doing nothing for the narrative. At that point, they're just, let's try on some 80s clothes. Let's nostalgia, which is part of the opening 
of the movie too is playing on nostalgia of older fans watching this movie of I remember the eighties parachute pants say you out of this that stick just got old to me very quickly but I think his his performance was okay but the context he just gets brought back so I, and they don't even push the emotion up between them there's one scene where she gets emotional about him maybe leaving her life again. But throughout the movie, she just seems kind of like, oh, sick, Steve's back. So I don't know. Well, another thing you and I disagreed on, I thought he was the best actor in the movie. You thought Pedro Pascal was, which I, I get. Pedro Pascal's all an actor. Did Chris Pine have to act a lot in this movie? I'm going to say no. Ah. Oh. I'm going to say no. I don't think this was the most difficult role where he had to really act. He was a comedy, a comic relief for a lot of the movie, if I'm not wrong. He was, which I think is not the best use of him. I think It is not the actor. best use of him. He's a great actor. I don't think he really had to do a lot of acting. I don't know. It's a weird spot for me. Where are you at on the Chris's? The Pine, Evans, Hemsworth? Who's the best? Who's the best Chris? Pratt? <sighs> A lot of Chris's right now. Acting skill wise, I think from diversity of work, maybe Evans. Knives out and Snowpiercer helped his case. Yeah, he's been in a few dramas as well. About to play Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Oh. Hey, I'm focus. excited. I gotta it. focus. I gotta focus. I can't. All right. Uh, <laughs> put me on too many tangents. Uh, I think the rest of the Chris's kind of meld in together. Hemsworth right. and Pratt kind of act in the same movie, just big action blockbusters. So I guess Pine would probably edge out for second for diversity and acting skill. I'm just a big Pine guy. I wish he was in more stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's probably second skill-wise, but I think Pratt and Hemsworth are kind of do the same movies. You know, if they ever make it to... Green Lantern in this franchise, which I don't think is very likely at this point. <laughs> it should have been Chris Pine. But again, that first go around, I don't think any actor could have salvaged that that movie. <laughs> no, no. Again, I, I want to stay positive too as much as I can. Uh, I'm actually going to disagree with you again, Brett. I, I enjoyed the 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 scenes. One scene in particular when Steve sees the big commercial plane flying over the Washington Monument. So that no. was a pretty good acting scene. But I, that's I fine. like that. They did yeah, do that, it a little too much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You got pick and choose a couple of them. Fucking axe the fashion show. I'm aware of the 1980s fashion. Didn't need that. That's trailer bait. But keep some of that. He's a he's pilot. Having him, be in, having him be impressed with new, new types of planes makes a lot of logical sense for his character. I was fine with that. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It just, I, yeah, it went on too long. They needed to act some of it and just keep the relevance of his character because, again, that happens while they're flying or that's before they're flying, but they're on their way to a destination for the plot. So it's all moving together. It's not staccato like that fashion scene where they just take a break from everything and just do nothing. I agree. I would cut the – and also, we've seen it before. Keep it in the trailer, but cut it from the movie, the fashion thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marvel's, Marvel's again, it. DC. No one's going to no hate on you. 
Marvel's just giving you things to do. They're just showing, they've shown you. Maybe the do. blueprint. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to do it our way. We're going to figure it out. Oh, It'd take us a while. But if we're going to figure it out. Think, yeah, mix it up. That's Trailers that nowadays almost give away too much of the movie mislead us in the trailers. Keep the, the energy of the film the same, but put in stuff that might not be in there. Keep out certain stuff. But yeah, that's definitely a trailer scene that didn't need to be in the movie. Yeah, I agree. I'd cut that out. Next up. Uh, huh? Yeah, one more so thing. Next up, you've got a... One more thing on Chris Pine. Another performance. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. I agree with you. I'd cut the fashion show, but I thought the Space Center part was cool. Yeah, I'm going in there, and, seeing and stuff that he probably has been plane. through. and Yeah, that all works. I'm all fine with that. Um, Kristen Wiig, another victim of bad writing. Kristen Wiig, an actress you and I both enjoy. Yeah, I she's someone. There's a couple actors that have been on SNL that I actively root for, and there and see other stuff that I want to see him get out and get more respect outside of comedy. So I was all in seeing her do action stuff again. I think she did a good job performing. I don't think she had any help from the writing in the movie though. Nobody, nobody got any help. Nobody. Yeah. So I will say this: the comment I'm about to make is not about her performance. I mentioned it before we started recording, but are we not past making, being really smart and talented in a specific field look bad? Like we're supposed to look down upon someone who's a nerd or she's really into all these old artifacts and all this. And, you know, I don't have a lot of friends and she's, and then it's almost the, almost fits poetically in like a 1980s movie trope of letting her hair down, changing her outfit. Ooh, now she's hot. Now people are in the office are into her. I was gagging watching that take place that that is being written again. And she literally does. She, the, the costume designers had it. So all she had to do was slip off this long ass skirt into like a dress. She would already have been wearing modern now like more form fitting it was just oh i was so pissed off at that well again the writing because there's two villains in this movie but the third one is the writing writing. and then she gets to turn into a reject from cats later on so that was pretty sick cats extra but uh kristen wig look i thought she did a pretty good job and i was a little skeptical when she got cast as cheetah because i didn't (laughs) But frankly, I didn't get it. A lot yeah. of get about the DCEU, but I didn't get uh, this. They missed a lot on casting, and I thought they missed this time. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't miss. Uh, but I agree with you. If, if there's one thing movies like the MCU and even some DC movies have done, it's make nerd culture cool. Yeah. So I don't... Like, I think that, like, more empowering... I, I don't know. Her villain arc was had some validity to it, like her motivations and everything like that, wanting to be strong. But at the same time, what if that's the field somebody wants to go into? They don't want to be somebody else. That's what they want to do. Promote that, promote that strength and going into whatever the field you want to do. I don't know. I just, I feel like it's harping an old, old outdated trope. Yeah. 
it is an outdated trope because, like I said, there's one thing these movies have done. It's made that nerd culture cool. Because it used to be, even in our lifetime, Brett, it used to be if you read comics, if you liked these movies, it was not considered like mainstream stuff. Yeah. You know, you kind of just, you didn't talk about it. And now it's cool. Yeah, it's, mm, it's weird. But overall, I thought she was pretty good. Um, I was I was impressed. I was pleasantly surprised. So that was one of the bright spots I had, and also the callback to uh, Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet. I just thought that was nice. A uh, little fanfic. Yeah, but again, another huge problem there. Doing invisibility on the fly, literally. Yeah, you can't just fucking mention one line. I've done it once to a coffee cup, so now I'm gonna do it to a plane. <laughs> It, it, also, the the plane has enough fuel to make it to Egypt. Been sitting in a parking lot. I just and it's not like these are huge setups. They didn't even show that, if I'm not mistaken, in the first movie. Her doing the, any invisible shit like that. No. It's a one scene. It's a brief and just setting things up. There's these payoffs that you can't get because you didn't do the setup. There's no payoff for her turning it invisible unless you go, oh, yeah, from her, she has the invisible jet thing. I I don't know. It just doesn't work for me without that setup, even though I know it's a thing that exists in comics and about her character. In this film universe, people that haven't read any of that stuff might not know that, so it just has the ability all of a sudden. Um, We mentioned the bad uh, script. Well, that was pretty good, but we disagreed on some bright spots. Yeah. Some disagreement. I'm just reading, going through some people's general consensus on the movie. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, also, one more bright spot. I enjoyed the post-credit scene of Linda Carter coming back as the, uh, I don't know if you made it to that part or if you turned it off as soon as the credits rolled. <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming you did, uh, you turned it off when the credits came on. I, I did. Yeah, well, Linda Carter showed up as the uh, the warrior in the gold uh, armor. He is actually hiding among the humans. So, okay, Linda Carter, who played Wonder Woman in the seventies, nice, but no, no link to the extended DC universe because you know they don't want to think too hard and and try. So we'll just keep making disjointed well, individual movies and try to make them work together. Can't you know, wait for that fucking TV show that Zack Snyder's <laughs> making to come out. Oh, I'm sorry. The movie he's remaking that's a cut. Or uh, who knows? I don't know. We'll see. Well, let's jump into what this means for the DCU because you keep, you keep harping on it. You keep harping on it. But what we'll talk about now, I think you mentioned the Snyder cut. This puts even more pressure on the Snyder cut to succeed because if the Snyder cut falls on its face... This, I mean, this DCU is already in trouble. Uh, you don't need oh. us to tell you that. <laughs> if the Snyder Cut fails, like, epically, or even a little bit, considering all that went in to make it happen, this is an all-time catastrophe of how how did you fail when you had this huge property? Well, I think... You had the know, blueprint there, and you, you failed anyway. The, to me, it might seem like they're trying to distance Wonder Woman. Because they didn't make any attempt in this movie to connect to any... No, con- no attempt. 
Yeah. So th- when the third movie comes out, whenever that is, I'm curious if they have any connection to the other movies. Are they going to really, truly make this its own trilogy that has no connection <laughs> yet? Well, Brett, I went digging. Oh, God. Because I thought there's no way there are no tie-ins to the other DCU movies. The only one I found was a song. Beautiful Lie is a song that was played in BVS, and part of it is played in this film. That is literally the only tie-in that I could find to any other DC film. So I think you're right in that they recognize, hey, Wonder Woman is the best thing we have going right now, and it's not close. Yeah. Let's try and distance it from the other things. And speaking on the future of the DCEU, you know, the Joker, Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix was in this universe. Maybe they go more that route. That's always been DC's strong suit is the solo movies. Yeah, I just, I feel like they got too blindsided and they were in awe of what the MC was that they just jumped the gun and now they're paying for that decision. But do you agree with me on the Snyder Cut? Because as if there wasn't enough pressure on it already. Now it's yeah. like, hey, Zach, you, uh, this has to, this really has to boom or we're, <laughs> we're in trouble here. Oh, goodness. Where, where do we, do we want to talk about the CGI now? Yeah, we get. Yeah. What was yeah. what was the you know what what was the budget? How much money did they spend million. on that garbage? Fuck you. Two hundred million. Where did it go, Redis? Because it it didn't go to CGI. I have in our notes here mind numbing first fifteen minutes. Mind numbing. You know that the, first the story. Yeah, the story bit when she's I forget the name of that hidden island now. The story bits. Sierra. Yeah, sure. I enjoy the story elements and the character development of Wonder Woman there as a child. I really enjoyed that. But, oh, holy shit, it was disgusting to look at. It was disgusting to look at, and guess what? It didn't tie into the rest of the movie at all. At all. It just truth. They just kept saying truth over and over again, and they would just repeat that, and that was the only thing that carried through. The CGI was... When she's in... At times, unbearable. When she's in Egypt, and they're chasing down, and she's running, they didn't even try to make it look like a green screen. Oh my God, that was that was horrendous. But this is a theme we've seen in these DC movies. It's bad. It's like they just don't put any time into it. I mean, what the hell? Don't tell me you don't have the money. Don't tell me that, because that's not true. You're throwing around two hundred million. Where did it go for this film? I have no idea. I don't know. Probably some Ponzi scheme we don't know about. Is what? <laughs> Where did the two hundred million go, Brett? Didn't go I don't to CGI. Know. When they're in uh, Themyscira, when they're all in the very opening, when they're having all those people flip and do those like acrobatics, it looks horrible. Whenever they jump or throw or kick somebody at any point in the movie, it looks so bad. When Kristen Wiig kicks that pervert the second time around, yeah. oh, it looks, it looks horrible, and it's at night. Well, you hit on it couple of minutes ago Kristen Wiig's uh cheetah appearance like when she's a literal cheetah <laughs> look Marvel's done a great job at uh being as real with these characters as they could like 
I feel like if they had the cheetah, they wouldn't make her a literal cheetah. They would just give her like yeah. powers and stuff. Well, and when they're fighting in the White House, she has like cheetah print tights. And I think you could have maybe drove that in earlier with her fashion. If before she got all these powers, you had her like cheetah print. She makes one comment to Gao and she has like cheetah print heels. That's it. But if you make her actually wear that and like that later on, I think it works better to have her just have cheetah print clothing and not be a fucking cat, which I get cheetah is in the comics, but you don't have to do everything to a T. Um, I texted you about this as I watched it happen. Cheetah's a defeat in the end. I don't remember the writing exactly, what was said in that scene. I just remember thinking, oh, no, I remember. I remember. You remember the, the live wire is like, going everywhere it's about to hit yeah them. they're underwater and all yeah, that yeah. she is wonder woman is begging barbara to rescind her wish yeah and she's like no i like this and then <laughs> wonder woman's like but then i'm sorry and basically shows her underwater electrocutes her yeah the writing in that scene's horrible. you could have done a lot well before that leading up we uh, we almost had a Ray Star Wars moment when they're in the helicopter with Pedro <laughs> and she's talking about being a predator. I thought she was gonna fucking say, "I want to be a cheetah." I was I was praying she wouldn't. So I'm glad they didn't. They weren't that bad. But it was leading up to a Ray Skywalker type moment. Would it have been better if she literally came out as a female predator like the alien? <laughs> I think it I'd have been all in on that shit. <laughs> the laser arm blasting Wonder Woman. Uh, there's a couple other things I wanted to hit on for the, the story. Uh, Mayan Bob Marley is an expert on the Dreamstone. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the stone in general? The kind of like MacGuffin of the movie? Well, do you care for it? Well, because again... I'm getting a little bit of mother box vibes of right. just kind of, here's what it does. Fucking the rules for it change on a whim whenever they're convenient to the plot. There's no standard rules for how it works. Right. Does he have to touch them? But no, actually it's just like radio waves from a fucking satellite. Now they're all technically touch. It's, it just changes to fit whatever they need at the time. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned radio waves because it ties into a movie. We're going to talk about uh, at the end of this segment. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not in a flattering way, but uh, what I think about the Dreamstone, I literally had to look up what it was called because I couldn't remember if they called it what it was during the movie. So there, there you go. I think it's a good concept. I think it's a very good concept. I just think it ties into a thing we're going to talk about at the end of the segment, multiple villains in a, in a superhero movie. Like, that's, if you're going to introduce that big of a concept, maybe get rid of Cheetah. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Like, I don't think Pedro Pascal's performance is great. I don't think he was charismatic, but I think his story with the sun had emotional weight there. But pick one. Having a lot of villains has to work under very specific circumstances. Either really build up this Pedro Pascal borderline Donald Trump character you made and tried to get away with it build him up, make him stronger, or really build into Cheetah and have the super versus super battle and that kind of dilemma with power and being and all this and the public eye and popularity. But having both, they both kind of 
falter and then none of them really stack up well enough. So you have two lousy villains instead of one good one, which is DC is all in on doing that shit. Right. And the two, two lousy villains, that doesn't mean they're bad villains. It just means you got to get rid of one. Yeah. Cause if you get rid of like in this case, I think if you get rid of cheetah, Max Lord is a semi compelling villain by himself. Yeah. Probably just cause of the sun narrative by itself you know or and even vice versa if you get rid of him you keep christian wig she keeps just a stone doesn't become it still becomes cheetah and just does more stuff with the stone on her own of getting power and getting people yeah. on her side it's just pick one and really go all in they just get distracted having both of them well i'm glad we brought up pascal because i again a victim of just bad writing but uh i made this connection to a Marvel villain. Did you ever see Jessica Jones season one? No. No. Well, there's a villain uh, called the Purple Man. You've probably heard of him. He's like, in the, if you've seen Jessica Jones, he's called Kilgrave in the show. But he basically, his power is he can tell people what to do. Just tell them whatever he wants them to do. And that's basically what Max Lord is here. Yeah. Basically eats the, the dreamstone. But hit we hit on the dialogue a lot. One more bad dialogue that was so bad I had to mention it. Uh, when Kristen Wiig, you <laughs> you reference the scene when he kicks when she kicks the creep across the sidewalk. Her old uh, friend comes up, the yeah. bench guy, and she's like, "What are you doing?" Or he's like, "What are you doing?" And she says, "You're expecting like this heavy hitting line," and she says mind your business, and then runs away. <laughs> that, yeah, that was something else. The way she just sprints away into the darkness. Too. <laughs> it's like, what? Mind your business? Which brings me to the question, Bredis. Is this the worst script in the DCEU? I don't, I don't know if it's the worst. There's just a lot of holes. We talked about Chris Pine. How does he come back? We never established how the stone works. Does I'm that, glad you bring that up because does I that was... does that man die to give up his soul and get <laughs> reappeared because he just becomes a dude at a party? I was texting you when this scene came up. I said, "Glad Chris Pine's back." Don't understand how the hell he's back, <laughs> and it's never really explained. It's kind of at the end not. when the dude just, shows up. Yeah, I guess he got his body back. Does he know that he was? <laughs> that his soul was taken by. Because there's that scene where he looks in the mirror and, he's, he and Chris like Pine the sees the guy he's taking over, but Diana sees him as Chris Pine. Does everybody see him as Chris Pine or just Diana? Does everybody see him as the other dude? Because he's a real person with other people in his life and family and right. friends. Is he dead? For t- <laughs> He could have been married for all we know. He had a nice relationship going. and I don't know. I think it's a good concept have that they just didn't convey it pretty well it's it confusing confusing um let's see here i don't i don't think it's the worst script i think suicide squad's probably the worst yeah it's not the worst and i will round out because i don't want it to sound like i'm hating on this movie because i really enjoyed the first one it's a, it's still a, it's kind of a fun movie, but we always bring up this argument of, oh, it's mind-numbing and just something to throw on. I still just think there's better mind-numbing movies. I think mind-numbing movies can still be quality movies. 
I feel like you would watch this movie like, oh, I want to have it tie in to the rest of the movies, but it doesn't even do that. So your only interest is I really like the first Wonder Woman, but it's not as good as the first Wonder Woman or as groundbreaking or anything. So then you're just disappointed either way. And we've talked about reviews and critics response. Anyone who's given this a 10 out of 10 or a five out of five lying. is getting paid to, or they're, yeah, they're fucking lying. Yeah. I don't think it's a one out of five or anything that bad. It's not a zero out of five, but just give it a 10 out of 10 or five out of five. No. Invalidates any other movie you've probably given a 10 out of 10 or a five out of five. It's currently sitting in like a six on IMDb. And IMDb is a fan driven rating system. I would agree with six. Yeah, I think a five or a six is probably fine. But I'm glad you brought up uh, the first movie because I don't know if Patty Jenkins just mailed this one in. Because we know Patty Jenkins is a great director. We know it. We know it. She did not write the first movie. He wrote this one. Let's go to Wonder Woman 2017. He wrote this one. If we scroll down, if we scroll down to writers. Screenplay by Alan Heinberg. Story by Zack Snyder, Alan Heinberg, Jason Fuchs, I think. Directed by Patty Jenkins. Now, if we go to Wonder Woman 1984, scroll down to the writing credits. Ooh, looks like we've got story and screenplay by Patty Jenkins. So maybe she got a little bit into her own bag and thought she wanted to do it all. Well, uh, Jeff Johns was also involved in writing this script. Jeff Johns, yeah. a GOAT comic book writer, can't write a movie to save his life. Now, Zack Snyder did produce this, but I assume he <clears throat> tied up with his TV show, oh, my bad, his movie coming out, that he was just a producer because he was a, like a, a story writer on the first one, so much more involved in the first movie than the second movie. And if anything, you can't say Zack Snyder doesn't like DC. You can't say he doesn't care about its characters. So maybe not having him be heavily involved hurt it a little bit. But yes, Patty Jenkins, who directed the first one, was involved in both the story and the screenplay of the second movie. Whether that validates your hate or love for the movie or not, take that as what you will. Um, And then the runtime of this movie, I think it's two hours, 34 minutes. Yeah. For a superhero film... <clears throat> There's very few instances with superhero film where you need to take it to that length. Like The Dark Knights, the last two Avengers movies. And I saw criticism of that. People were the, online that people were saying, the people that hate the runtime are also the ones that didn't pipe up when Endgame came about. That was also a worth a decade worth of movies leading up to that finale. Iron Man 2 wasn't pushing three hours. No. The first Iron Man wasn't pushing three hours. No. And even some of the, and I'll say it, even some of the Marvel movies, it, they probably don't have to be as long as they are. No. Dark Knight Rises, I don't know, not a Marvel movie, but a movie you and I both love. Yeah. Not too long, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I saw a debate on this on Twitter as well about the links of movies where people say, go back to the 80s where every movie was long. And I don't know if I rightfully agree with that, but I just do think in general... Not that movies are too long now, because I think movies have roughly been, they've always been long. Yeah. Give or take some, some 
diff, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, give or take some movies that fall in and out of those brackets. I think more movies that shouldn't be two, two and a half hours are becoming two and a half hours just because. So right. I was pushing the writing team or anybody to extend scenes and stories to make that two, two and a half hour limit where 90 minutes would suffice a lot of the time. Yeah, they would suffice. I mean, look at, uh, not a superhero movie, but look at Fargo. 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. 90 minutes, great movie. Brokeback Mountain, 90 minutes, great movie. Yeah. I think the ideal length for a film is like an hour 40 to two hours. Like, there's very... Yeah. There's, it's, I mean, there are some necessary instances where you have to take it well over that. Like yeah, I mean, it all comes. It's circumstantial. I think any movie is can be as long as it needs to be, but you've got to understand whether you are the camera. writer, producer, anybody that makes those decisions doesn't need to be that long. If you are telling a big epic like that, it might need to be extended. But make sure you still trim off all that fat. Right. Don't don't make it three hours because you think you're making an epic. If your story is that big, make sure it needs to be that big. You don't just pull something out that far for no reason. When it comes to length, movies fail far more often because they're long rather than they're short. Yeah. You know, hey, it's like they always say, you always want to leave them wanting more. Yeah. You want somebody at the end to go, I want to see another one of those, not checking their watch or trying to fast forward through your movie the entire time. <laughs> you and I have made that you made that comment on here multiple times. If you're checking your watch during the movie, if you're checking the clock, you lost. Yeah. You lost. Them. Yeah. Another thing with runtime depends on the viewer. You know, like my my parents, for instance, casual movie viewers. In rare instances, are they willing to sit more than two hours to watch? Yeah. Fine. I get it. Every viewer is different, but. People that don't like movies, I, I will say this, from people that I've met that don't care to watch movies, that's one of the things they immediately point to. I don't want to sit down for two and a half, three hours. Right. And I, I can't really argue with them. That's fair. Fine. <laughs> that's a good chunk of the day. Yeah. You can't always just say, I'm just going to break away. Like watching Godfather, you very on a whim, I don't just put on a three and a half hour movie. I have to mentally decide, do I have work? Lord of the Rings. Something do, yeah. I have to decide if I'm going to make my day about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many people are out there who have only seen like The Godfather one time. <laughs> They're like, that's enough for me. Maybe a lot. Probably a lot more uh, than we think. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the critics a little bit. Oh, I have a take here that might blow your mind. You were pretty high on uh, Pedro Pascal. I'm not sure what his motive was. I, I liked his emotional back and forth with his son and the little flashback to his childhood. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Other than that, I did not think he was a compelling villain. He wanted oil. He was beefing with some Saudi, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, some Egyptian dude. Or an Egyptian dude, yeah. Oh, yeah, he sold his oil to, the, to some Saudis when he got there. Yeah. Well, here's yeah, my take, Chris. You mentioned the son. What if I told you the son had a better motive to be a villain than the father? <laughs> yeah, his son does. And you see how he just gets... <laughs> Is that not a- there? He's talking shit. Literally, talking shit. 
talking shit about his son when he's in the other side of the glass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's weird that when, then when they show the flashbacks to his childhood, he's the exact same as his dad, albeit the, the hitting. Did that feel a little out of place to you? The flashback to his childhood. Yeah, they were really trying to make you emotional, Zach. They were really trying to make you connect to the victory that Wonder Woman was about to get. And then he goes, I redact my... And like similar to Kristen Wiig, I redact my wish and just runs off. <laughs> just runs away. Fails. Fails. Uh, and then uh, one more thing before we get into the final segment. I think the critics, you and I both agree, critics are being way too soft on this movie. Yeah, and it's hard to tell which ones were paid. Yeah. <laughs> who was given a little bit of money or a free screening here and there to see the movie. So they're inclined to be a little nicer. Kind of shocking how many overwhelming positive reviews there are. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, it's not a horrible film. No, it is not a horrible film. I would just say entertaining at times. Very entertaining. I would just say demand more from a $200 million budget. You gotta demand better from Hollywood, or maybe this is a good learning experience that Hollywood, more often than not, is a bunch of bastards. Especially for I don't know young women out there who are fans of superheroes, I would demand better movies as female lead for superheroes. I want something. Yeah, I want something as good as the first Iron Man, as Captain America. I would be demanding movies that compelling. I wouldn't accept sequels like this or scripts like this, but they have to accept it because what else do they have right now? I got to be annoyed. And again, the writing for the Kristen Wiggs in the beginning, where I'm smart and successful, but I don't go out on the weekends as much as I'd like to. So my life is in shambles. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. I don't know how that is still going to be in a movie. She's, look where she works. In the beginning of the movie, she gets asked to help the FBI figure out what that artifact is. It's a great is. career. She's a big deal. Like, you don't just... So then like, her motivation to become a villain is Gal Gadot is prettier than I am, and I want to be cool and strong like Gal Gadot. It's pretty weak. It is weak, and it's a shame. Shame. And I wonder if the critics... Would be harder on this movie if it was a regular year, bro. If it had a wide release like any other year. I don't know, but these are the same bastards that probably shat on Tenet. All right. That are now praising a Wonder Woman. You know, uh, I told Coop uh, we're going to have him on to talk Tenet before he goes <laughs> back to school. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and last segment here. I, I went through before the show, before you came on the Zoom. I went through literally every major superhero film ever released by Marvel and DC to try and find which ones with multiple villains worked and which ones didn't. And in some cases, studio had to put the franchise on hold because it was so bad. So oh, here's, the ones, here's the ones that just fail. Like, they tried, they failed. It wasn't a monumental failure, but it failed. Batman Forever. The Val Kilmer Batman, with Jim Carrey as the Riddler, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones as a lot of a lot of villains in that movie. <laughs> Unnecessary amount. It failed, but it still got a sequel, and 
Yeah, still made a shit ton of money. Made a, made a lot of money. Batman v Superman failed. Again, <laughs> you and I have talked about, not on the show, but yeah. in private. A lot of easy fixes lot here of and there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't it need failed, to but I'm like the other movie. Did not make its money back. <laughs> a story. If you haven't seen the drop off from week one to week two for BBS, it's literally unprecedented. <laughs> it's just staggering crap. It is. It's basically problem. everyone going opening weekend because they're like, hell yeah, it's Batman and Superman. And the next week is everyone that went told everyone they knew how bad the movie was so then nobody went and saw it. Oh, God. Another one that failed. See if you agree with this. Iron Man 3. The fake Mandarin and Aldrich Killian. Yeah, it's definitely the weaker of the Iron Man, so. Yeah. And then I put this movie down, Wonder Woman 1984. I was going to ask where another movie was, but you put it in the put the franchise on hold, so <laughs> I'm glad you remembered it. Like I said, I went through all of them. <laughs> Every single one. Uh, here's ones that worked to some degree or just knocked it out of the park. Superman 2 from 1980 featured General Zod and uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Good film. Entertaining. Batman Returns. Danny DeVito is the Penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman. Any movie with Danny DeVito is going to kill it. Yeah. So that one worked. Blade 2. I remember Blade 2. It worked to some degree. I'll Didn't take your word it. for it. It's been way too long since I've seen Blade 2. It doesn't compare to probably any other movie on this, <laughs> uh, in this category. I, 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 I prefer it to Aquaman and Iron Man 2, but... <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I God. have some uh, disagreement there. Next one, Batman Begins, unquestionably worked. Yeah. The Dark Knight. Uh, I put Iron Man 2 down. Yeah. About that. Oh, yeah, I don't think it killed it, but I don't think it hindered the movie. So I think it worked. Yeah. And then Aquaman. <sighs> Made a billion dollars. That's more where I was coming from. Movie made a billion dollars. I don't know. The opening weekends carry all that weight, though. It's like BVS. It was going to make a good, decent amount of money just on opening weekend. People were going to go see Batman and Superman. Look, would the movie have been better if they took uh, Black Manta out, saved him for the sequel? Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't kill the movie. He didn't kill the no. movie. No. So that's why I didn't feel like I could put it in the failed or it definitely didn't put the franchise. Yeah, that's true. They're probably going to make seven Aquamans. And here are the, the creme de la creme. The superhero a movies. special place in my heart for most of these movies. <laughs> superhero films with uh, multiple villains that were literally so bad and mishandled that the franchise was put on hold for years. Oh, God. Batman and Robin. Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger yeah. as Mr. Freeze. Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Some Tough. WWE wrestler as Bane. God help Tough. us. Tough. Daredevil. Yeah, no, they... Uh, <laughs> until the Netflix yeah, show... Daredevil again, until the Netflix show. They tried to make you forget he was a person. Until they, re- they brought him back for that Netflix series. Ang Lee's Hulk. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, they had to hold off for five years on that character. No, I liked some parts of that movie, but it... it, it Talk about CGI. Oh. But guess what, Wonder Woman? This movie came out in 2003. They have an excuse for it not to be the greatest. That's the thing. I want to say this real quick. Wonder Woman 1984 is going to age horribly. Yeah. It is going to look so atrocious in five to ten years. I would say like even three years. Yeah, depending on, depending on what comes out, yeah, it might work, look worse even sooner. Fast and Furious look better. If, if Avatar 2 comes out soon, it's going to make it look like a oh, shit show. Shit. It's James Cameron's. He's, he's putting every penny into making that movie look good. Every penny he found at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, he'll take as long as he needs. <laughs> he's like, I don't give a shit about the deadline. I'm making $4 billion off this movie, so... I'll release it when I'm ready. Next one to put a franchise on hold. X-Men The Last Stand. Tough. You know, I will say this kind about Kind of mind-boggling how many characters are in this movie. That's true. There are, that, I didn't even think about that. There are an absurd <laughs> amount of characters in that final act. I think I'd lose, I think I'd lose track. There's so it, many people 50. running on, on and off screen simultaneously. No. Screw 50. There's like 100. <laughs> It's like a civil war battle. I will say this about X-Men though. They're consistent when they're when they want to put the franchise on hold, they do it, they go out with a bang on that yeah. last movie. Dark Phoenix, they said we're gonna we're gonna bury ourselves again until we revamp it. We're gonna make it hard on Marvel's team. <laughs> we're gonna make them wait. <laughs> but like X-Men the last stand. Sure, we got uh, X-Men Origins like three years later, but we didn't get an X-Men team-up movie for like five more years. Yeah. And it, it was a prequel. They like recast everything. So The next movie you're about the name might be the worst of the bunch. Maybe not worst. Definitely most disappointing. Yeah, you just take it. You take it. Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. As I have come to now call the movie, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Wedding Crasher. <laughs> As a majority of the first half of this movie is a wedding that I could not give less of a shit about. Hurricane Galactus. And, yeah. <laughs> they just, oh God, they just didn't do almost anything right in that movie. And, and that's the franchise. That's a, that's a franchise that has a bad batting average. Horrible. I'm talking every time they go to the bat, I'd put money on them missing the ball, <laughs> not bunting, like whiffing. They tried the little revamp, that did not go well. No. Spider-Man Three. We have a whole episode about this one. This is rare that. If they fix the character problems, it bumps up to the work to some degree or killed it section. Spider-Man 3 is the best one in this category. The best movie yeah. in this category. You look at some of these other movies, even if they fix having a lot of characters, the movie's still not good. That's really the biggest hindrance for that movie. As many of you probably know, if you've listened to that long trilogy podcast series we did, that's one of the biggest problems. They don't know what to do with the villains, who to give time to. Nobody gets developed, and then it just kind of ends. Yeah. We didn't so get Spider-Man is... for five more years after that. Yeah. 
but then that one ended as well with the amazing spider-man 2 and this is one where the too many characters does not fix the movie no there's other problems deep within that film but hey we're getting electro back maybe maybe. if you're missing him then don't worry thank god thank god (laughs) Uh, we were missing something I've been talking about him since the movie came out. No one wants to listen. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to me talk about Electro. So that'll do it for the Wonder Woman '84 segment. Again, not not a horrible film. No, but, uh, if you've got HBO Max and you like the first one, watch it. I would not pay money to go to a movie theater and see this movie, though. No, and it certainly <laughs> doesn't live up to its predecessor. No, but yeah, if you've got the account, you got a way to watch it. You got nothing to do. You might get something out of it, but it's a swing and a miss. But I thought that was a fun way to end that. Uh, I went through literally every superhero film I ever made, tried to find the ones that had multiple yeah. and see which ones worked. <laughs> so there you go. Moving on to Mank. Here comes that mood shift. Here's a good movie. Good film. Uh, can't talk about Mank without talking about Citizen Kane. I actually rewatched Citizen Kane before I watched Mank. I hadn't seen it in two years. Last time I'd mm-hmm. seen it was our film class. But, yeah. Um, so I, I'm gonna make you. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Citizen Kane. You know, you might, you and I might not agree with it, but the, it's a consensus greatest movie of all time. I don't think so. No. Like, if you polled 100 people, the majority would say so. Some of them might say, yeah, because they've probably been told that. I think Citizen Kane has gotten a tough rap being labeled as that because I think most people that see it go in with that. They go, this is what people think the best movie of all time is, so then they hate it. Right. I think if you just go and watch it, I think it's an amazing film. I think, yeah, it deserves to be in the top Top whatever greatest movies of all time. Yeah, whatever you put in place, it's got to be in that upper echelon. Yeah. But I'm glad this movie came out. I know biopics aren't the most popular movie. This is not a movie for everybody. Where I think Wonder Woman 1984 tries to appeal to a large mass of people, Mank does not. No, it doesn't. You've got to be very interested in David Fincher, Familiar with the Citizen story. Kane, Orson Welles, any of those factors. Really, really, really like Gary Oldman. This, this, it's a movie for specific people, which I think is always better because a movie for everyone is a movie for nobody. Right. But this is a two-hour, little over two-hour runtime, so it's yeah. not terribly long. It does have some slower bits, but it is a biopic. But I didn't get bored like I generally got bored during Wonder Woman. Yeah, which is uh, bad. But I'm happy to see David Fincher back. It's, a, it's another a swing and a hit. Where does it place? I'm not sure if I need more time as I just finished it today. But yeah. it's him in, in some scenes, it's some t- uh, technical aspects, it's him in full stride, just knocking out of the park. I love the black and white choice. To me, that always makes me focus more awesome. on the movie. Awesome choice. I always really, really... Ingenious choice. Yeah. They're telling it about the 1930s and 1940s Hollywood era, shooting it in black and white, working with those shadows, just adds to the movie. For me, it makes me really, really focus in more on a movie when it is in black and white. I, for some reason, look at movies differently when they are in black and white than in color. A lot uh, of... Oh, go ahead. 
I didn't have this down. Is Gary Oldman the best actor David Fincher's ever worked with? <sighs> make you think. Just make you think. It's not Ben Affleck. And I'm not talking like one performance because yeah. like one performance, Roseman Pike's the best. Yeah. But I just mean like career wise, Gary Oldman he, probably. He's up there. And he, it's important to note too, Gary Oldman playing Herman Mankiewicz in the earlier 1930s, he's playing a man that's in his 30s and 40s. Gary Oldman's in his 60s. Yeah. Now it does help. It does help that Mankiewicz is a heavy smoker and drinker. So it's easier to pull off that he was not going to look like he's in the best of shape. And bedridden for half the movie. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he kills it. Playing, I feel like playing drunk, especially towards the end of the movie in his climactic rant, mm-hmm. playing drunk isn't as easy as I think it might seem. You have a method? You just got hammered? <laughs> Plastered on set. It might be. You never know with Gary. Never know. But this movie, great lead actor and a phenomenal supporting cast. Phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about the cast. Phenomenal. Do you want to jump into the cast? Well, do you think Gary Oldman's the best actor he's ever worked with? For recurring performances, I would say he's probably got to be top three, top two, maybe. Because I don't think it's Brad Pitt. Gary Oldman's a better actor than Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think that's fair. Ed Brad Pitt gets blessed with a lot of really good writers and directors. He, he makes great choices. Yeah. He gets blessed with great movies. He's rarely in a bad movie. Yeah. Um, then, then you're looking at like Jodie Foster. Mm, that's true. So I think, yeah, I think he's got to be top three, top two. Downey. Hall. I think body of work Oldman's the best. Yeah. <clears throat> um oh Morgan Freeman. Forgot about Morgan Freeman. Ah uh, yeah. Michael Douglas. Still think Oldman takes it. Um I want to talk a little bit more about Citizen Kane. If you had to pick one thing that uh Citizen Kane has had the biggest impact on in cinema, what would it be? I think it's the screenplay, which is what this movie is about. Yeah. I think I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Aspects camera work wise that are pretty impactful, but I don't think anything touches the work that went in as you got to see to make this screenplay. Yeah. Just the crazy circumstances surrounding Citizen Kane, I think also is why it's so legendary. A rookie director getting the amount of control because of the unfortunate situation that RPK was in. At that RKO. time, or RKO, my bad. Yeah, yeah RKO was into that specific time with financial troubles. It was a perfect storm for this weird amalgamation of people to come together to make a movie like Citizen Kane. And I liked that it kept it at bay. The movie ends before any scene of Citizen Kane is even shot. Right. So I liked that. We only get one real scene with Tom Burke playing Orson Welles towards the end. Other than that, you get him on the phone, a quick cutaway shot to him. And I liked that. Are the words Citizen Kane ever uttered in this movie? Mm-mm. I don't think they are because I think the first draft of Citizen Kane was called something else anyways. Yeah. I think it might have been called The American or 
something like that. But yeah, it wasn't Cold Citizen Kane at first, so I don't remember it being uttered. Well, of course, towards the end when they when he wins and all that, they mention the name, but. I do think it's the screenplay that's had the biggest impact. I think the two best screenplays ever are this and uh, Chinatown. And I also think, yeah, him fighting for the rights to be credited to. Because as you, the movie really portrays is Hollywood in the 1930s and yeah. 40s. It was not the easiest place for writers at times. A lot of people went uncredited on a lot of projects. Oh, we'll hit on the studio era. We will. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we talk about how much we get mad at studios <clears throat> now about how they dip their hand in a movie here and there, like a Spider-Man 3. That's nothing. 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 Those mans that ran the studio were gods in the golden age of Hollywood. One of them portrayed in this movie, Louis B. Mayer, founder (laughs) of, uh, one of the founders of MGM. Yep. One of the original, original Hollywood studios. Yeah. Um, William Randolph Hearst, who is the main character, Citizen Kane, that's who he's based on. Yeah. He's actually in this movie. Talk about casting. Played by Charles Dance from the Game of Thrones, Reddit. That was a perfect casting choice. Yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> and then you mentioned uh, Mank getting credit. I mean this from a real-life aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm glad this movie was made because... Uh, I don't. I don't think Mankiewicz has ever gotten enough credit for it. When you think of Citizen Kane, who do you think of, Brett? Think of Orson yeah, Welles. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So it's always nice to have him get some credit in there. So maybe this will change, turn the tide of you think of both of them. Yeah, but I'm glad it was made. I'm glad this movie was made. I'm. I'm just glad. <laughs> That's a fun movie. I'm reading the Ebert review. I forget who wrote it, but they they pointed out how this is compared because Fincher with Gone Girl with Seven, he's he deals with some pretty serious or heavier topics. Yeah, it's not as easy to goof around with. When you get kind of a a bumbling drunk cynic in Mankiewicz, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of fun, and I feel like you see even Fincher having fun making this movie. Well, here's why I think that is, Brettus. Are you familiar with the background on this screenplay? A little bit. I know we had talked about it over text recently. Yeah. I think this is Fincher's most personal film he's ever done. Some people have said it's a love letter to Hollywood, kind of like uh, Tarantino's. No, I, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. This is, look- a, <laughs> no way. this is a... This is a twisted... He's shitting on Hollywood. It? He's shitting on him. Yeah, this is a... No, no, no. God, this is a, a, a laced envelope with anthrax to Hollywood. I don't think he could have. Which I'm all for. I loved the shitting oh, yeah. on Hollywood and the studios. Which is why I think he went through Netflix, because he probably knew. Yeah. He can't go through actual Hollywood. I wish, I wish he would have went to MGM <laughs> <laughs> and asked him to make this movie. Fox. <laughs> Yeah, if you think this is a love letter, Hollywood, um, I highly suggest second watch. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention. No one to is. How no one is happy. Here. Everyone's. This is, seems like the the life is being sucked out of them dealing with real politics and the politics of Hollywood in this time, and it does not look fun for anyone involved. The studio heads. Yeah. You see. <laughs> 
uh, what's his name? Goldman talking to his quote unquote family, all his employees, and that he's taking half of their paycheck because of the, the financial crisis. And then doesn't give it back. Like he says, he will just reinstates their full salary later on. How about when Louis B. Mayer leaves the funeral? Fake crying. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Nice little drop of the handkerchief too. That was a great shot. And then Meg's just look at him like, you son of a bitch. You, you, you bastard. Um, since we're on that topic, let's keep it there. What do you think of how they portrayed Orson Welles? Because he wasn't a villain per se until the very end when he kind of trashes Meg's house. Yeah. I mean, even then, I don't think it's a terribly inaccurate portrayal you think it gives Orson Welles a bad name? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Especially because of who Orson Welles became after Citizen Kane as well. But yeah, you are, as it's referenced a lot in the movie, Mink talks about how I've earned my title of being an outcast and hated. Like you are just now moving in the town. Yeah. You're still fresh in this new place. And like I mentioned earlier, he if you don't know, does end up getting full control. He gets say over final cut, any edits, any changes. Unprecedented. That, yeah, unheard of in the 1930s and 1940s in Hollywood. Studio heads had the final say always on actors, on the script, on the production, on your directing moves, everything. But a specific situation allowed him to get that control. And then it gets received as well as it does Granted, we learned it only wins the one Oscar, which I, I took as another fun jab at the Academy. Yeah. It only winning one of its nine nominations. I was like, Academy, been getting it wrong since the 40s. <laughs> but I think it's a fair representation because he had all that control, so he was demanding a lot. We learned very early on he cuts a 90-day deadline to 60 over yeah. a phone call. Yeah. Through another person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's unflattering. I mean, I think it's, I mean, they do make a point of saying, look, he didn't write it by himself, but he still started it and fucking directed the thing. Yeah. That's, and that's why he gets mad about it. When he, <laughs> when he throws that box, he has a point when he's, who's producing it, who's directing it, who's starring in it. Yeah. You're sitting here writing it, which is a huge part, but he's doing every single thing else involved with making this picture. And honestly, Orson Welles, as, Charles Foster Kane, one of the great performances of all yeah. time. Is yes, a he, top 20 performance ever? He crushes it. It's a kind of an unbelievable performance. But no, I agree with you. I think it was pretty fair representation. Pretty fair. And I think it's reasonable to see why Wells would act like that when Mank asked for credit because back then, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The guy in charge got all the credits, not the He also got mad because of the contract they signed too. Yeah. Beforehand, which they give you uh little things at the end that describe the contract. But yeah, like most writers a lot of people would not get any credit. A lot of writers got no credit during that time period. But you also see the Manx side of it because he wants credit for this because it's his best work best, and yeah. everyone tells him it's his best work because he's been a hack for a while now, as yeah. he feels. Yeah. It's kind of an underdog story, this movie. Yeah. Because he's multiple times that he's called like a scrub. 
like a shell of himself. And then he pulls Citizen Kane out of his ass. Yeah, it gets called a jester or a clown <laughs> quite a few times. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the screenplay format of the movie? I loved it. I loved it too. I was yeah. happy when I saw it. Yeah, I loved that opening. You see it come out. It says exterior, the location, yeah. time of day, the year. Love that. I knew you'd love it. When it came on, I was like, oh, Brett. Brett. <laughs> uh, the cigarette burns. Nice touch. Yeah. Nice touch. One, the first cigarette burn, I don't, know you, I don't know if you noticed, led right into a scene where they were smoking cigars. Ah. Yeah. Good bridge. Nice touch, my friend. Uh, performances. We had on Oldman. Uh, I don't think we need to say much. It's Gary Oldman. Yeah. You know what you're going to get from uh, him at this point. Amanda Seyfried. Lovely. Un- unreal performance. Her scenes would just her and Gary are some of my favorite because they have that weird nothing his wife makes wife mentions it that she calls it what is it like the platonic flirting or whatever it is she's like aware of it affairs yeah yeah the platonic affairs is what she says which is true there's this weird energy tension called sexual or not nothing happens with it but when they're alone together there is a certain connection they have that is so fun to watch unfold each time they're together Especially uh, when they're walking through the garden together. Yeah. Because she's one of the only people in Hollywood that for an old tycoon, not tycoon, an old head, like kind of Gary, that old style kind of writer at that time. She she's plays really, like, uh, likes and Davies. appreciates him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. She actually, that's why she's like, you can see, it's not like, she, she's engaged in the conversation when they're in the, mm-hmm. when they're in the garden. I'm going to stake this claim right now. That scene won her Best Supporting Actress Oscar. You think she's going to win Best Supporting Actress? That should be my pick. Interesting. I thought she was that good. I thought she was that good. Interesting. She, matched, she went toe-to-toe with Gary fucking Oldman. Interesting. How many people could say that? It's a fair point. Let's see what the Academy does. Well, <laughs> Hate to ruin your, your pleasant thought there, but... Um, you know what? Let's just get into it now. Can't be avoided. Will it get love at the Oscars, this movie? Uh, I think it'll get some. Gary Oldman will definitely get a nod for Best Actor. It's got to get Best Picture nod. It has to. It has to. It'll probably get a Best Picture nod. Best score. Should get Best Original Score. Yeah, we can jump into that a little bit too. He's back with Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. Yeah, crush. It fits so well. Funny thing, we didn't even talk about it. Yeah. Hans Zimmer did some of the score yeah. for one of and we didn't yeah. even talk about it because that's how boring in that movie is. Yeah. It just feels like a generic superhero accompaniment. This fits the time period and the scene so well. And that's the thing. You can have a great composer do the score for your movie, but it's different when the director and the composer have a certain chemistry like Fincher and Reznor do. Same with Zimmer and Nolan, per se. There's a certain connection that they understand. They work hand in hand. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it if, if Zimmer even met... Patty Jenkins, more than a couple of oh, times. Oh, no. 
I mean, yeah, they called. I'm sure they had a meeting here and there, but unlike no one, whether they there every day working on fine tuning each moment to each beat of the score, probably not. And that's the difference. Didn't even talk about it. Didn't even talk about it in that section. I think this is their Reznor and Ross. I think this is their most impressive score because it's different than any other one they've ever done. It is true. It is a much more difficult task to fit that 1930s and 40s. Because the other ones they did before this with Fincher, Social Network, nothing like this. Nothing like this. And the Social Network score is on on another level, so. Yeah, that's their best. I just think this is their most impressive. Yeah, I mean, everything about this movie, from production design, costume design, the way that he put edges on the frame to make it look like an old movie, black and white. There's so much care and attention to detail that has to go into a movie like this that you can't help but appreciate it. And the other two scores they did, Gone Girl and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Nothing like the score from Mank. No, very, very different. I honestly didn't know they could go to this level. I didn't know they could turn back the clock to the 40s and make a score like this. So I was, I was impressed. Uh, we mentioned the unflattering depiction of the studio era. Louis B. Mayer takes a massive L in this movie. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he's the big loser of this movie. Because people are going to look Louis B. Mayer up now and be like, was this guy really? Yeah. And guess what? He probably was. Oh, yeah. All, all of them were drunk with power back then. Yeah. Yeah. This guy founded fucking MGM. I mean, you see the conversation he has talking when they're walking about the three rules and what he says MGM actually stands for. And he's, if somebody, wow. if somebody sells it, it's still the ownership of the, or someone buys it, it's still the ownership of the person who sold it. Yes. Never forget that. He's a bastard, man. That's ridiculous. ridiculous. Some other performances I, before we move on, I wanted to mention Lily Collins. A solid performance. Great job. And that's what she needs to. Yeah. As uh, Mank's brother. Did you recognize him? It was hard. I definitely had to look up the cast for this movie, especially for uh, a note you have down for who plays Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Definitely something I had to make sure and check because you don't get a super easy look at him. Did you recognize Tom Pelfrey? Have you seen him in other things? I did not. Yeah, I did not recognize him at first. Yeah, he plays Ward in Iron Fist. I had to look him up. Shocking. I didn't remember him as Ward. <laughs> I was taken aback. I knew you, I knew you'd like how did, I, how did I miss him? Um, and then you mentioned it. Bill Nye as Upton Sinclair. I tweeted out the other day when I was watching this. Bill Nye plays Upton Sinclair. Reason enough for you to watch Mank. I almost didn't get it at first. Once I saw them first mention and show them, I had to pause it and look up the IMDb and make Bill sure. Nye. Bill Nye. And why a David not? Fincher film. If you can get him, why not? If you're why David not? Fincher, just shoot the shot. <laughs> why not? Um, and then I thought this was worth <laughs> Hearst and Louis B. Mayer just have abominable takes on the war and Nazis. Yeah. It's they a fu- very funny off. scene. <laughs> yeah, they'll be having, gone in two months. Yeah, they're all hanging out, having dinner or whatever the get-together is and talking politics. And 
because this is 1934. So five years before Germany invades Poland and they're really brushing off the seriousness of the Nazi party. This Hitler guy, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be taken care of pretty easily. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure one girl at the party says, shouldn't the U.S. do something about it? And then some guy ah. just goes, nah. <laughs> ah. Uh, that's, a take, that's a take that didn't age well for him. Nah. Freezing cold takes. It'll, it'll sort itself out sooner or later. <laughs> oh. I think that's Fincher saying, look how out of touch these people. Look oh, how yeah. out of touch Hollywood is with everyday life. Oh, yeah. Big world issues. <laughs> no, it's not our concern. Love it. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, beautiful tracking shot. You know, I'm a sucker for the tracking shot mm-hmm. of the Mankiewicz brothers and Louis B. Mayer walking through the studio. Yes. Loved it. He has another good one, too, when he first meets uh, Hearst, and he's yeah. st- sitting in that little truck. I didn't yep. even notice he was moving it for a couple seconds, but then he has to follow them as they walk, and it's a great interaction. But yeah. great camera work in this movie. Anything else you want to add before we uh, finish it up? Uh, if you haven't seen Make, give it a watch. It is not everybody's movie. It's not... Slow burn. Yeah, it's a slow burn. You've really got to be interested in a certain actor in this movie, really in the David Fincher really maybe want to learn more about Citizen Kane. It's not for everybody. I will say that. It's not everyone's cup of tea. If you haven't seen Citizen Citizen Kane. Yeah. That is not a precursor. That is probably good to mention. Uh, You do not need to see Citizen Kane at all. No. Just know that they're trying to write the script for the movie Citizen Kane, and that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. Wanted to mention one last thing. um, What we talked about is this Fincher's most personal work. I think it is. And if you look at the backstory, it's because his dad wrote the screenplay. For this. Yeah. His dad, who's passed away. So. Oh, Seven's not his most personable movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> the game? Uh, that's unpersonable? No, I, I, I think that's very fair, especially, yeah, with the story coming out. And his dad passing right in the script. I think that's very, very touching. Mank and uh, Zodiac, the two more personal. <laughs> Mank, yeah, Mank and Zodiac. He's really connected with the Zodiac killer. <laughs> All right, Bredis. Uh, I think our next show, actually, is going to be with our friend Cooper. Yep. About be in the new year. Yeah, this is our last show of the year. So. Uh, yeah, that'll be our next show. Tenet with Cooper. If you haven't seen Tenet or if you haven't listened to any of the podcasts where we've had Cooper on, it is a hoot. And I implore you to to listen to those previous pods, especially the Spider-Man ones. Yeah. It's a great time. (laughs) Great time and as always.